on your way in, we're going to do session two of our Acts Bible study. Uh, and last week, we kind of set the stage, talked about the basics of who wrote the book of Acts, when they wrote the book of Acts, what, they, uh, what their purpose was, what they hoped to accomplish, who they were writing it to, and uh, we're going to kind of build on that stuff. So uh, just kind of a quick reminder is um, the purpose of the book of Acts is to explain the earliest history of the Christian church. Uh, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, how it began following Christ's ascension, uh, how, how it grew, what things the church did. And it is then um, written, as we kind of talk about, and as we continue to study, and we'll see this, as primarily a whole bunch of sermons. Okay, there's other stuff in there, but we have a lot of early church sermons um, that we can even do sermon notes on, and that we can still preach. I mean, we usually preach a little longer than they have space for in the book of Acts, but we can still preach the same sermons today. I see you guys all smiling, like, maybe you should preach these shorter sermons, Pastor. Um, <laughs> we could. Um, so we'll, we'll take a look as we keep on moving forward in the book of Acts. I want to read um, Acts 1, 1 through 3, one more time here. And this is kind of going to be our, our kicking off point then a little bit as well. So Acts 1, 1 through 3, if somebody could read that. In the first verse of just one, I have found that Jesus began to teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given Presenting himself alive to man after his suffering by many groups, hearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Alright. In the first book, O Theophilus, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do. And um, now he's giving commands to the Holy Spirit the apostles and presented himself alive. Alright? And so in these words, Luke is setting the stage, and they kind of are, are um, echoing what we believe, teach, and confess in the Catechism, or maybe, maybe I'm saying that backwards. What we believe, teach, and confess in the Catechism matches this. So, um, how did Jesus give commands to the apostles whom he had chosen? Through the Holy Spirit. How does God give his word to us? How does God make us Christians? Through the Holy Spirit, working in word and working in sacrament. In other words, just like we say in the small catechism, the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. In the very same way, he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the entire Christian church on earth and keeps it where? With Jesus Christ in the one true faith. So the same way that God spoke to the apostles, uh, or the same way that Jesus spoke to the apostles through the Holy Spirit, he also speaks to us. And we have to keep that in our mind the whole way through the book of Acts. That's why there's sermons recorded, because when you hear a sermon, who all is speaking? God and... Through the pastor. And did we talk about this in this class uh, last week? Uh, the instrumental means, the way things work. God is speaking through the pastor instrumentally. The way to think about that is if I had a trumpet, uh, or we've got an example. Over here on, on the wall, we have two pianos. Right? Instruments. You hear that lovely music those pianos are making? No one's playing them right now, so they are silent. But if so Ashley's right there, we could have her turn around. She knows how to play, or any of those kids, they could play. And if they started to play, what would the instruments do? Make music. Make music, right? Um, a 
all the time. Karen does that for us. We have uh, meals and things like that are before church. The music, the instrument only makes music when someone is playing it. The, the Holy Spirit is like the person playing it, and the pastor is like the instrument. And when the Holy Spirit works through the words of the pastor, God is creating faith. So none of you came to faith because of what a great preacher Adam Moline is. If, if I am a good preacher, who's the one that's really bringing you to faith? Holy Spirit, through me as the instrument, or through Pastor Poppy as the instrument, or if I'm not a good preacher, but I'm still giving you God's word and its truth and purity, like if I'm the most boring preacher in the entire world and I never vary the sound of my voice, if it's still God's word, what does still happening Holy Spirit still working through that. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking, what about a charlatan pastor? A charlatan pastor. What about, I mean, I know we're supposed to double check you in the Bible, but, you know, we, the way the we've been talking here that we can rely on the Holy Spirit bringing the right word, but what, what if he is? When does the Holy Spirit work through the pastor? When the pastor is preaching and teaching God's word in its truth and purity. So, same, same thing applies. And we're going to talk more about it when we get to the end of today's lesson, if we get that far, when we talk about the fights. Because there's more than that, but we're going to answer that question at the end, too. So, that's leaving you hanging, right? <laughs> but we'll get there. Because... There's more to it than just that for good order in the church. God works additionally so that you can be certain that the pastor you have is speaking the truth. Now, if I change, change, right? Uh, if, if I stop preaching God's word and his truth and purity, your job is to do what? To confront. To confront, uh, let's say, to start with, to come and talk to me about it nicely. And then confront, and if I'm still not listening, there's a whole procedure to go through, um, but talk to the person first, because I'll, I'll tell you the truth, and maybe you guys who have done public speaking know this happens. Sometimes you have it written perfectly correct on the page, and it's perfectly correct in your mind, but then when you're talking, it comes out the wrong way on accidents. So my daughter Claire has been driving this point home for me lately because uh, this summer we had gotten pork burgers from um, Fairway Meat Market. It's right behind her house. So we grilled those and we we're eating them and I said, okay guys, what do you think about these pork burgers instead of pork burgers? And she, in my mind, I know what they are, and I mean to say the right thing, but sometimes it just doesn't come out the right way. So even if that happened, that could happen in a sermon too, right? And everybody makes those mistakes. We're all sinful people. So come and talk nicely, because hopefully that's what's going on. And if there's more, then we'll tackle it. So Christ is the one sustaining the church. Through preaching is a big theme in the book of Acts, and we're going to get there. Now, we also read in there uh, other questions, and because this isn't um, the lifelike format, I'm just going to tell you, if you have a question at any time, please interrupt me, raise your hand, throw something <laughs> generally in this direction, but no, uh, let me know. We'll, we'll pause at any point. We also read in that little uh, introduction, verses 1 through 3, these words. Um, in the last book, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do. When you use the word, I began to do something, what does that imply? That it's not finished, and hopefully, that you're continuing 
to do such things, right? So when I was born, I began to breathe. And I still am breathing, right? Um, you begin a project, and when you say, I began the project last month, it means that you are still working on the project, that it's not completed yet. That's the phrase, began to do. And there's a whole way to write this in uh, the Greek that is done here um, in the book of Acts. Who's the one who's beginning to do things in that little sentence and in that phrase? Look at it one more time. Jesus. In the last book, I told you what Jesus began to do. What does that imply? He's still doing it. He's not done doing it. And that's the thing then that we have to watch for in the entire book of Acts, in the sermons, in the baptisms, in the miracles. Jesus began to do that stuff, and now he's still doing it. When did Jesus begin to do all that stuff? Well, Luke said, I wrote about it all in the first book, which is what? What's Luke's first book? Luke, right? The Gospel of Luke. In the Gospel of Luke, I told you what Jesus started to do. And now, in the book of Acts, I'm going to tell you what Jesus kept on doing. Okay? So, Jesus is continuing to work in the early church in the book of Acts. Now, by extension then, and we've already said this a little bit, what does that mean is still happening? Jesus is still the one doing these things. And I submit to you, as we study the book of Acts, we'll see he's still doing it in the exact same way. In the Word, preached and taught, in baptism and in the Lord's Supper. Jesus is still working to sustain his church. And that's the way that Jesus works to sustain his church. We don't really believe that the way we ought to in our world anymore, do we? Okay, how many, um, how do I say this carefully? Lots of times people think we have to add to the way Jesus works. Yeah, sermons are real nice, baptism's good, and the Lord's Supper is good, but I think our church would be better if Pastor Moline were more handsome. Or I think our church would be better if we had a coffee bar in the entryway. Or more comfortable pew cushions. Now those aren't necessarily wrong in themselves. But does God make Christians through coffee bars? Or through the handsomeness of the pastor? or through more comfortable pews. No. God makes Christians through word and sacrament. And those other things are always secondary. So, for example, for 1,800 years, churches didn't have pews at all, or heat, right? So you all went and you stood, and the service was more than an hour, more than an hour and 15 minutes, it was like four hours, so you stood for four hours, all next to each other, huddled up because it was cold. Is it good we have heat? Does that make Christians? So we have that distinction there. It's important. I saw a hand for a second, but... It... Okay. Okay. Alright. What to watch for? Preaching, baptizing, proper administration of the Lord's Supper. And this shouldn't be a surprise to us because we've already heard this in the Gospels, that this is how Jesus is going to work. So let's read Matthew 28, 18-20, if someone will look that up. And because we're reading Luke's work, let's also look at Luke 24, 46-49. And um, we can see how Luke is also telling us the same thing in his words. Alright, Matthew 28, this is... 
Pastor Moline's confirmation verse. Says, verses. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. All right. We always call this the Great Commission. Um, and we always emphasize the main verb as the word go. In the Greek, the main word is actually make disciples or disciplize, right? Um, the going part is just the consequence of Jesus is going up into heaven, and the disciples aren't just going to stay there and watch him. They're going to go out from that. So it's more like when you've gone, you're going to make disciples. And he tells them how, okay? Uh, this is again, uh, in the way it's written in the Greek, is uh, it's called a dative of means. Okay, so I'm going to change my tire by means of a car jack. You know what I mean? Pump up the thing and then you can take the tire off. The car jack is the thing by which I'm going to change the tire. And this is the same thing. You're going to make disciples, main verb, by means of what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying, baptism makes people disciples, or Christians. Okay, and then what other thing? The Lord's Supper. We're, we're, yeah, we're, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves, yeah. Teaching them all that I have commanded you. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Okay, so this means, and telling them everything that I told you. Which now we can say what Lynn said. What's a big thing that Jesus commanded? The night when he was betrayed, he took bread and he said, Take, eat, this is my body. Take, drink, this is my blood. He said those things. That's a big thing. So all the words that Jesus said, and that includes then his words also about the Lord's Supper. And just to drive home the Lord's Supper part, he ends with, Behold, I am with you. Where is Jesus with us? He is everywhere. Um, is he, when he's everywhere, is he there for us? In one sense, yes, but where's the real place where he promises to be there giving you good stuff? Word and sacrament again. The Lord's Supper, where we have his body and blood truly present, uh, where he's here in his word, where he washes away our sins in baptism. Those are the places where he is truly, ultimately with us always. Not to say he's not with us in all the other places, but that's where he's giving his gifts to us, in the word and in the sacrament. All right, let's look at Luke 24 then also. Luke 24, 46 through 49. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in the name of all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. All right. And you probably should have read the verse before this too. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said, It is written. Right? Um, he's saying that he fulfilled everything that was written in the in the Bible. And when he's talking about it in this place, which part of the Bible is he primarily talking about? Primarily the Old Testament, because what hasn't been written yet? 
So when you read the Old Testament, what is it that you're looking for? Sign of law. Well, there's law, yeah. Promise of a Savior. Yeah, this is promise of a Savior. This is, uh, all you guys who were in my confirmation class last year can vouch for this, right? What's the whole point of the Old Testament? To teach us about who? Jesus. Jesus. And the promise given to Adam and Eve when the sin enters the world all the way through until finally it's going to be fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The Bible says... Jesus will suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And then, verse 47, what happens? Repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. Proclaimed in his name. Which again, we talk about the name of Jesus. Where is the name of Jesus put on you? In baptism. When we're talking about proclamation, what... Uh, what sort of thing are we talking about? What's the main proclamation that takes place in church? Or about the church? Do we believe that God's do we believe that God inspired and that God given that? It's true. We believe the Bible is God inspired and is God's word. And where does that word get proclaimed or to you in in sermons right when your pastor preaches God's word and not just in sermons um, in hymns when hymns teach what the Bible teaches right which is a great thing about our hymnal right now okay you can just pretty much open to any page and at the bottom in the lower left lower right backwards lower right corner, you have the Bible passages that this hymn is teaching us about. Okay? Uh, and as you can see, just about every single hymn has that there. This is God's Word, set to music so that it's easier for you to remember. Right? That's why Pastor Poppy remembers we had joy, we had fun, we had seasons in the sun, as he was singing before we started Bible class. Because those words are set to music, and they are set into a poetic form. He remembers that then. And so we take God's word, we do the same thing, and that's a hymn. Or even the liturgy. Um, why is it that, that we have a set liturgy that we follow every week? And why is it that we sing a lot of that liturgy? It's God's word, it praises God, and it takes his word and his praises and puts them in an easy format for us to remember, right? Even, we had our confirmation meeting last night, and one of the confirmants was saying to their mom, I can't, I can't recite the words of institution, because I can never remember them. And the mom said, but you can sing them. You sing them all the time. You hear pastors sing them, and then you sing them at home. And they're like, well, I didn't know I could do it singing it. Why do we sing the words of institution a lot of the time? Easier to remember, right? Uh, setting it to music, okay? So, we have God is going to bring the church into existence through the preaching of the gospel, the word, through baptizing, through the Lord's Supper. This is going to be the focus of the book of Acts. And again, I know I've said this a hundred times already, miracles happen in the book of Acts, but they never create faith on their own. They only open the door in the sense that the miracle causes people to pay attention to the preaching that follows. That's really, really key. This is why we don't like Benny Hinn, besides his false doctrine and, and heresy. What does he do miracles for? Do miracles. On the radio, I'm doing air quotes here. Okay? To make money for himself. Are the people really healed? No. Okay? These miracles are real in the book of Acts, and they're there 
So the people are like, wow, I should listen to that guy who just made that blind guy see. And then the apostle or pastor or preacher teaches about Jesus. Okay? All right. Questions on what we've talked about so far in Acts 1, 1 through 3.
But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost from the Father, will send in my name. He, will keep, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. All right. Remember Jesus said, when you've gone, make disciples by teaching them all I've commanded you. And now we hear in John's Gospel, who's going to remind them what God in Jesus had taught them? The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will be sent to help them. All right. <clears throat> 1526. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. All right. What's the Holy Spirit going to do? Is the Holy Spirit going to say to all the people that he goes out to, St. Peter is such a great guy. We should make him Lord Bishop over the whole church. What's the Holy Spirit going to do? Witness about Jesus. That's why when I tell you how handsome I am, is that the Holy Spirit? No. If I'm talking about myself, it's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit always, always, always teaches us about Jesus. He's kind of like um, the road sign along the interstate. You know, when you're getting close to Omaha going down the interstate, there's all the signs that say, McDonald's, exit 337, four miles ahead, turn right. They're there to show you the direction to go. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He says, look over there, it's Jesus. He never talks about himself. He never really even talks much about God the Father. He always, always, always is pointing us to Jesus. Okay? All right. Uh, and Luke 24, 46 through 40. Uh, no. Sorry. Luke 24, 49. Look at the right part of the page here. Or their 
Greek occupiers or their Persian occupiers, all the people that had come before. They're thinking about a worldly kingdom. Is that the kind of thing Jesus is worried about? No. What's Jesus concerned? Our heavenly home, our heavenly kingdom. Even when he's before Pontius Pilate, what's Jesus say? Pilate says, are you a king? And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, I'd have a bunch of people fighting me right now. Do I? No. That tells you all you need to know, Pilate. Okay? The disciples are thinking the same thing. Jesus' kingdom, when we talk about that, thy kingdom come even, we're, we're asking an eschatological question. Something, a question about the end. That's when Jesus is restoring God's kingdom, when he's bringing things to an end. And do we know when that kingdom is coming? No. And what does Jesus say? Verse 7. It's not for you to know. Now, is that a law statement or a gospel statement? If you knew when you were going to die, how would that affect your life? You'd live differently how? Because you knew when the end was coming, so you would do everything the way you want to do it. Yeah. You accomplish whatever you're setting up. If I knew I was going to die one year from today, I'd spend the next 10 months having a lot of fun. <laughs> right? Doing a lot of dumb stuff. And then I'd spend the last two months doing what? Oh, I'm so sorry, God. <laughs> so is it good or bad that we don't know when the end is? It's good in that way. It's kind of a gospel thing. I know it's hard to think about it that way. But it is good news. Jesus does tell us then that it is coming. The Father has fixed that date by his own authority. The day is surely drawing near, but we don't know when. Which means, how do we act from that moment when Jesus says this and ascends into heaven until the day when he comes? In faith, which means we're acting as Christians. Okay? We say this all the time in the, uh, the liturgy. Um, in Faith towards you and in fervent love towards one another, that's Christian life, that knows Jesus could come back today, or he could come back a long time in the future, after we're all dead. It doesn't make any difference for us. We could die today, or we could die a long time from now. It doesn't make a difference. Between now and then, we act as Christians. Faith towards God, love towards one another. Okay? Um, and in the midst of that time then, too, uh, Jesus is saying here, you will be my witnesses. The church's job from the ascension until the end is to do what? To witness about Jesus. So that's our main thing here. What do we try to do on Sunday mornings? Everything that we do should be all about Jesus. When we have a Bible study, it should be all about Jesus. Um, when a pastor visits you at the hospital, it should be all about Jesus. It doesn't mean we might not talk about other things, right? Have you done any fishing? You know, I, I don't know. But when I'm pastoring, it's all about Jesus. Okay? Um, he says, this is letter C at the bottom of the page, between the kingdom of Christ and a 
Uh, between the ascension of Christ and the, the kingdom of Christ at the end, I think those two things maybe are backwards in the way they're written here. The disciples have different work. They have the work of the church. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the world. What does it mean to be a witness? To tell about Jesus, who he was, what he did, what happened to him, and, and we can summarize that in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, witnesses, what's important about witnesses? Why do we call them witnesses? Okay, remembrance? We're, we're getting there. Before we get there, um, okay. This, we, we said there's an accident down the street. Can I show up in court as a witness? Why not? Because I didn't see it. Who did see all this stuff? The disciples. Witnesses means their eyes saw the events, and they're telling you what they saw. Okay, that's an important part. Um, now, does the church still witness? Okay, how? I didn't see Jesus rise from the dead. Because the people who did see Jesus rise from the dead wrote it down. Which is why when I talk to you as a pastor, I don't tell you I really experienced the Lord. He moved my heart to eat a spoonful of peanut butter with chocolate chips on the outside. Okay? Or... He moved my heart to care for this particular organization. What do I tell you as pastor? Yeah. His resurrection. These, these are the words these guys told us about Jesus, life, death, and resurrection. I can like peanut butter and chocolate independently of that. My job as pastor is to tell you what the witnesses said. And it's not my word. It's their word. And they are the ones who saw it and wrote it down within a few years of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Okay? Isn't that really God's word, though? What's that? It's God's word. It is God's word. I mean, God worked through them, right? Yes. I mean, they couldn't just write it down. They couldn't just write it down. I mean, they could have. Anything. They could have written some of this stuff down. Who is coming that's going to help them in that? The Holy Spirit. Who's going to teach them the words to say and to write down for the edification of the entire church on earth that follows, that is built on their eyewitness. So, the Holy Spirit moved them along as they wrote it down. The, so the inspired word of God, I've always, I haven't been doing that right, but because... I've always said that God inspired the word through the disciples, or the writers. Uh, yeah. And I know God is part of the Trinity, but that aren't we talking about something different if we're talking about the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Um, the way that it worked was, these people are eyewitnesses, and they've seen it, and they're going to write it down. Yeah. And in some way, which we can't understand because God isn't working that way in us. God is also making sure they say everything the right way and get all the details. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit in there, who still works through that same word. And so it's not just the apostle himself writing it down or Luke writing it down. And it's not just God writing it down like they're in a trance and they don't know. It's they're working, I don't want to say together, they're, but they are. The Holy Spirit and the Apostle who's writing the book, in a sense, are collaborating. But I'd say God is the bigger collaborator. I don't know if I'm making any sense or answering your question. Well, no, you're making sense. It's just all new to me. I never thought of that. 
It's a really important thing in our modern world to know that the Bible is an eyewitness account. Because the world doesn't want that to be true. But it is an eyewitness account. And there's all sorts of little clues in there that tell us that. For example, Luke, um, he tells us he's researched it well. And as part of that research, for example, on Easter morning, he talks about the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Okay? He names one of them, but not the other one. Why? If he's making it up, he's going to make up a name for both of them or for neither of them. If he makes up the name at the time he's writing, not long after, I mean 30 years after the events, what might someone say? There was no guy named whatever. He names one because that's the guy he talked to. And we see that all over the place in the Gospels, where there's some people have names and some people don't. And the reason is, is because when they're named, that's a person they either interviewed or you could still go ask about it when the Gospel was written. That's just one example. There's lots of these examples that teach us the Gospels are eyewitness accounts. And when we get to Paul, we'll learn that the stuff he's saying about his conversion to Christianity is also an eyewitness account. And that's really important because that gives it a huge, huge boost in its historicity. You guys know the word historicity? That's the study that says, is the history that's recorded real or not? This is what we need to learn more now because our history is being changed in some places, right? I don't want to get into politics, but it's true. Both sides are doing it. <laughs> okay, yeah. Same word. 
Um, so Old Testament already is really in existence by the time Christ comes. And we see that then in the New Testament because Jesus quotes Isaiah. The apostles make references to Jeremiah or to Malachi or to Zechariah. Um, uh, Jesus quotes Genesis. And so they all go together in that way. The New Testament then, there is a collection of books uh, and letters. So we have the four Gospels, we have the letters of Paul, things like that, that um, very, very early all Christians accept. Okay, I know, is it uh, the Da Vinci Code, Dan Brown? says, oh, Constantine invented these things in the 325s. That's a lie. It's historically inaccurate. Already long before that, um, in the 100s, these books are already being passed around as true. Okay? So, like, Paul wrote the letter to first the Corinth, and he sent it. And the people in Corinth, what did they do? They copied it, and they sent copies to different places. Or the Christians from up in Macedonia came down, and they said, Hey, uh, I hear Paul wrote you a letter. Can I get a copy? And so the books in that way spread. And so we take all those books, and we say, Look, the whole church, very early, 100 years uh, after, you know, 100 AD, are already using these books. They must be scriptural. As opposed to some... Like, for example, the Gospel of Thomas, or the ones that say Jesus had a wife. You've heard about those on TV. Those aren't written until much, much later. 300, 400, 500 AD. And so we don't take those ones because they're not by the person who said, you know, was an eyewitness. And they weren't being used by the church early on. They came much later. There's a few little challenges to this. The book of Hebrews, which has very good theology and teaching and doctrine, we don't know who wrote it. But it was being used early in the church. The book of the Revelation to St. John. There's, um, it's being used very early, but by the nature of the book, people are like, I don't know what to do with this. And so there's those ones, those books we, uh, we classify just a little bit differently. We still believe they're inspired, they're God's word, they match what the rest of scripture says. But we won't base our theology on those books. Luckily we don't have to. All the other books say the same thing and we can see that. That's a really, really brief five minute answer. We could talk about it for about three weeks. If you have questions about that, there's a guy named Gary Habermas. You can Google him and watch video on YouTube about him talking about uh, the canon. He also talks about the historicity of the resurrection, which is very good. But the one you want is the one where he talks about um, how early was the Bible written. Habermas, H-A-B-E-R-M-A-S. That's why you can buy it still from CPH. It's not heresy. It's not wrong 
but it doesn't teach us the theology about Jesus. All right. Okay. Um, eyewitnesses. We have to, because Ashley mentioned it, we have, um, we have to bring to this point too. The word witness in Greek is martyria. Okay, martyria. So, what English word do we get from the, the Greek word witness, martyria? Ashley already said it. Martyr. Okay? Part of their job of witnessing to Jesus was all but one of the apostles was martyred, killed um, for confessing and teaching Jesus. Okay, that's how the word martyr got to mean what we think it means. It used to just mean they were a witness in a tribe. Um, now they're witnessing to the point where they are killed for their faith. And did any of the apostles give up their faith at sword point? No. Okay? Um, not a one. Not even Paul, who is kind of a We'll talk about Paul later. He's not an eyewitness like the others were. He's an eyewitness later on when Jesus shows up and talks to him. And he holds to that until he's dead. Okay? So that's part of their eyewitness. This is what I saw, and I'm willing to die for it, to shed my blood for it, because it is the truth. Okay? It's the truth. That's the eyewitness witnessing that the apostles did. What's the witnessing that we do today? Repeating what we read. And we, hear. we say, this is what teaches us about Jesus, and this is what it says, and this is why we believe what we believe. Uh, so far in our lives, if we had to do so at the sword point or point of death, will it always be that way? I don't think it will. We might have to get used to that idea, okay? Um, the world is changing some in that way. Hopefully, hopefully we're able to live our lives in peace, but I, I don't know what's coming around the bend. My one friend who's a pastor in Iowa, um, he's not really optimistic. <laughs> he keeps telling his wife, yeah, I fully expect to be in jail instead of retiring um, for witnessing about Jesus. I hope that's wrong. I don't know. We'll see. Does that change what we say or what we do? Do we change the message to try and be more hip and accepting in the world? Uh, because the, the world has changed the way it thinks. No. We still witness the truth about Jesus. All right. I think we're out of time. Are you okay if we pick up on the, the back and start at the top of that next time? Uh, and we'll just keep on going. Any questions as we close out of time here? Kind of off the subject. Well, off the subject. Not <laughs> off the subject, but when we were talking, you were talking about cults. Yes. Whatever happened to the Harry Krishna? They're still around. Are they still around? They're still around. I just I don't know. Is they that used, the Hindu? Yeah. 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 They used to be in the airports all the time. I remember getting accosted by them. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know a lot about their evangelism efforts. I know that we were just um, our vacation we stopped at Mount Rushmore. And uh, they have a section that they have a big sign that says this is a first amendment area. As if the rest of the country isn't. But there, at the entryway, is a First Amendment area where they had people with cults trying to get people to talk to them. Like, for example, the Mormons. The Mormons had a big map of America, and they're like, come over here and put a pin at where you're from. And by the way, let me tell you about uh, the angel Morani uh, who came and talked to Joseph Smith. And it was, it was right when Gabe's shoe came untied. They're like, oh, we gotta sit here. Don't sit too close. We don't want to talk to them. 
but those sorts of things are around, and there are all sorts of cults, and we need to be on guard, uh, watching for them and avoiding them. Mark and avoid. Mark and avoid. Well, this was back in the seventies, mid seventies. I mean, the airports. They were in the airports. Oh, you know, kind of like. That's the way. That's the way they do it. Or if the Jehovah's Witness is knocking on your door, say. My pastor is happy to come over with this Greek New Testament and tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> and they'll usually turn right around. Uh, they don't want to actually have that conversation. But mark and avoid. Mark and avoid. <laughs> on that note, <laughs> should we close the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.